I'm not running you off. Okay. All right. Wow. Great job, choir. Thank you, man. That was so good. So, so good. Welcome, everybody, to Back to Church Sunday. Welcome to you, all of you in cafe worship this morning. I know you had good worship with Lisa and Andrew Causey. God bless you guys. Matt Betts, you guys are amazing. We had a great, great worship service so far in this room. It's going to be a great day all day long, and we appreciate all of you being here. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. Let's dig into God's Word today before we do anything else. Matthew chapter 20. Grab a Bible. I want you to see some things about this parable, one of the stories Jesus told. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the, in the uh, rack right in front of you if you're in this room, right, right inside the, the hymnal rack. Matthew chapter 20 is, uh, is one of the parables, one of the stories that Jesus told. Um, but this is, of all the parables, the one parable that's almost guaranteed to make you mad. It's one of those stories that, that Jesus tells, and you hear it, you read it, and, and it's just going to fly all over some of you, and you're really going to have a hard time making sense of how this is good news at all. But it's Jesus talking, so you know it's good news, understand? So let's put the story, but before you dig into Matthew chapter 20, you really need to get a sense of, of how it fits in, in the larger context of this passage. Matthew chapter 20, if you go back one verse, one single verse, You'll find that Matthew chapter 19, verse 30 says, But now many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. That's the New Living Translation. If you've got King James or one of the other translations, it probably says what? The first will be last, and the last will be first. The first will be last, and the last will be first. Jesus says that in Matthew chapter 19, verse 30. Now, if you keep going back, you'll find that prior to that, Jesus blesses the children back there in verse 13 and says, don't keep them from coming to me. The kingdom of heaven belongs to people like these, the little ones, the children. Then there's the story of the rich man where Jesus says he's got to sell everything and, and come and follow him, and that man goes away sad. So notice how Jesus, in this whole passage, is sort of messing with your ideas of, of what makes a person important. You, you with me? And then Peter hears all of this. He sees what Jesus does with the children. He hears what Jesus says to the rich man. And then Peter asks a question there. He says, listen, we've left everything to follow you. What's going to be our reward? It's just honest. And you'd have asked the same thing. Now, Jesus, we've left a lot. And I've heard you say that you're going to give the whole kingdom of heaven to children. And I've heard you tell the rich man that he needs to sell everything. So, now listen, we've already given everything up. What's in it for us? And that's where Jesus responds to Peter and ends up saying the last will be first and the first will be last. Then you notice in chapter 20, verse 16, he says the same thing. So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. So the last will be first, the first will be last. So, so if there's any sort of message in this whole passage, what do you think it is? The last will be first, and the first will be last. This is what Jesus is saying. And honestly, that's one of the most aggravating things that some of you will ever hear. Because you're sort of used to being first. Let's take a look at the passage. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. This is a great story. It's an awful story. It's, it's really going gonna, it's, it's gonna to mess you up. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. Okay, you mad yet? 
No, that's good. That's good. He went and hired workers, and he said, I'll pay you a, day, a day's wage. Verse 3, at 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace again and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard, and at noon and again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. Okay, he keeps going back to the corner, going back to the marketplace and hiring more workers, okay? At 5 o'clock in the afternoon, now 5 o'clock, what's magic about 5 o'clock? It's quitting time, okay? At 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. So he asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one hired us. So the landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. Last to be first, understand? When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, they each received what? A full day's wage. How long did they work? One hour. And they got paid for a whole day, all right? When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more. Why? Because they did the math. Remember? They're at the back of the line now because the first are last and the last are first. And from their position, they can see what everybody else has paid. And they saw the guy that worked one hour make a full day's wage. So they do what you would do. They started calculating in their brain. If one hour gets a day's wage, and I've been working 12 hours, I'm about to get paid 12 days' wages. I mean, that's fair, right? That's fair. They did the math. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid what? A day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. You would have done that too. They protested. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want to do with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others. So those who are last will be first, and the first will be last. I told you you weren't going to like it. I told you you weren't going to like it. If you're like me, you don't like it because of the way you approach the story. You, you identify with the wrong crowd, always. Casey and I uh, had the Betts girls over for one night for one reason, and that was just to have an excuse to watch the movie Frozen. <laughs> we don't have kids in the house anymore, and so if you're going to watch a Disney movie, it feels kind of lame to, you know, two grown-ups, you know, 50-year-old people watching Frozen, so you need kids to, to make it not seem weird. So we had the Betts girls over. The movie had been out uh, on, on DVD for about a week, which means that Kaylin and Savannah and Addison had seen the movie approximately 60 times already. About 60 times. So they could sing every song. They could say every line. And it actually was a whole lot of fun to watch it with them. The movie had just started. 
and, and they were singing and they were doing all the lines. And then it got to the part where Hans, who's the prince, Hans comes on the scene and he starts singing to Anna. I, I think I'm getting these people right. Starts singing to Anna. And so when Hans steps out, Addison, who, who thinks that I, I can't understand, you know, the complexity of this movie, Addison says, he's the prince. He's the prince. I said, he's the prince? Good. Oh, good. But then Kayla and Savannah said, no, he's bad. He's bad. I said, the prince is bad? I mean, I think I know how Disney movies operate, but this is getting over my head now. The prince is bad? Addison said, no, no, he's good. The prince, he's good. I said, he's good? Caitlin said, no, he's bad. So Addison just doesn't know. At this point, I don't know either. <laughs> but Caitlin and Savannah started warning me, you don't want to root for him. He's bad. He's not good, he's bad. You understand? And I just ruined Frozen for you if you haven't seen it yet. He's bad. But you don't know that at the front. You don't understand. So your tendency is to root for him. Your tendency is to think Hans the prince must be good. I'm for him. But you'll mess up in Frozen if you root for Hans. I'm just telling you up front, like the Betts girls told me. Don't root for him. You'll get messed up. And it's the same way in this parable, in this story. Your problem with this story is that you have a tendency to, to root for the wrong group. You have a tendency to identify with the wrong people. Now, let's just be honest. In this story, who do most of us relate to? The early group. We see ourselves as the early group. We would be the people who show up early and work hard all day. We think of ourselves like that. We're the ones who get hired early. We're the ones who, who uh, you, you know, we, we iron our shirts, we, we do our laundry, we fold our towels in thirds. I mean, we follow all of the rules, and we show up out there to get hired in the very first part of the day to work a full day because that's just how we are. And then as the story goes, at the end of the day, we're unappreciated and bitter. That's just who we are. You understand? It's that tendency for those of us who think of ourselves as the hard workers, the rule followers, the, the first to show up, the last to leave, and ultimately unappreciated. That's just kind of how we see ourselves. And so when we read this story, we identify immediately, immediately with those front-of-the-line early hard workers. Now, now, don't we? We're just sort of used to seeing ourselves in that way. We're just sort of used to being first. Now, this parable has a rather interesting way of operating for those of us who are used to seeing ourselves as first. So, so let me just give you a hint here. You're not the early workers. In this story, that's not who you are. Now, I know that that causes you to have to change some gears in your thinking, change the way you think, but, but I'm, I'm trying to help you here. If you can understand that, that you're not the early workers here, you are the bottom of the barrel, back of the line people, if you could learn to see that, a lot of things in your life would start making sense. You understand? Because basically the parable is teaching you that in one way or the other, life is not fair. It, it, it really does seem to say that, that, that those who are last will be first and the first will be last. And honestly, the parable says the kingdom of heaven is like that. 
It seems to be a place where those who work hard are sent to the back of the line, and those who hardly did anything at all, all of a sudden are, are given everything. That doesn't make sense. That's not fair. And if the parable's not fair, then in one way or another, it's telling us that God's not fair. And if God's not fair, then what are we left with? Maybe we're left with the God who is good. Maybe there's something more important than fairness. Maybe there is grace. You with me? Look at the story. The kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. If the kingdom of heaven is, is like this, then the owner, the landowner, must stand in for a who. Who's the landowner like? God. Yeah, absolutely. The landowner is, is sort of like God. So God is like this landowner. And, and there are really three things about this landowner that are emphasized in this story. First off, he's rich. He's rich. This man seems to have all the money in the world. He's rich. He has everything. He's rich. Number two, he has a lot of work, a tremendous amount of work, so much work that every time he goes into town, he can just keep on hiring. He can hire as many guys as are standing out on the corner at any time of day, and he keeps going back into town, just trawling the lines for workers. He just needs workers because he has a tremendous amount of work to do. All right, so you with me? He's very, very rich. He has a tremendous amount of work. And as the story goes, he is tremendously good. He is tremendously generous. He's gracious. So the, the quick lessons from this parable, if we're learning about God, is that God is rich. God has everything to give. God has a tremendous amount of work that needs to be done. And he is overwhelmingly generous and good. Now start there, understand that. This is what the parable teaches about God. But what about the workers? Now as the story goes, the workers sort of get put into categories. The, the early folks, the, the 9 o'clock folks, the 12 o'clock folks, the 3 o'clock folks, and the 5 o'clock folks. But don't miss one very, very important simple fact. And that is, he finds them all at the very same place. Understand, when he finds them, they are all on the very same corner doing the very same thing, which is nothing, nothing. Each and every worker, when they meet the employer, they have no job, you with me? They have no money, and they have no hope. Every worker is in the very same situation, no job, no money, no hope, until they meet the employer. And he picks them all up in the very same spot. Now, that's pretty important. That's pretty important. Because they forget where they were when he found them. You with me? So as the story goes, this landowner who is very wealthy, has a lot of work that needs to be done, very generous. He goes up very early in the morning and he gets those guys who are out there first. And he says, would you like to come work for me today? And they say, absolutely. And he says, I'll pay you the going day's wage. He's just going to pay him what everybody makes for a day, a day's wage. And they agree to that. Why would they agree to that? Because that's just business. That's just fair. He just has them agree and they agree to what absolutely anybody, it's what they were hoping for, just to get work for a day and a day's wage. So he takes them out to his vineyard. And they start working. 
He goes back at 9 o'clock, just a few hours later, there, there's a whole new set of people out there. He brings them out to his vineyard. What does he tell them they'll make? He doesn't really specify a salary. He just says that the 9 o'clock group, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you what's right. I'll, we'll settle up at the end of the day. You with me? Goes back at noon, 12 o'clock, same thing. Picks up a whole new group of workers, and he keeps bringing these new workers out to the vineyard. Now, when a new group comes in, they step right alongside those who've been working all day long. You with me? All day long, but these new people keep coming in, 12 o'clock. Three o'clock, middle of the afternoon, heat of the day, there are still guys on that corner who haven't been hired. The owner goes out and says, why are you standing around? Come work for me. At the end of the day, we'll settle up. I'll pay you what's fair. 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock. One hour before the workday is over, he takes the last group out and says, I'll, I'll pay you at the end of the day. The last will be first, the first will be last. So he tells the foreman to pay the latecomers first. And it's almost as if he does this on purpose. He, he sets it up so that those who've been there the longest they actually get to see what other people make. You know, this whole problem could have been solved if he just paid the first people first. Because they'd have taken their day's wage, they'd gone home and they'd been happy. But they stand there and they watch how the owner does his business. And he pays those guys who worked a single hour. He gives them an entire day's wage. And for a moment that sounds wonderful. Because they calculate, if those good for nothing, one hour workers just got paid for a full day, I'm going to be rewarded like I've never been paid in my life. I mean, they're thinking they've hit the jackpot because they're thinking that's what I'm worth. If these guys are worth that, I'm worth 12 times that. But that's not how it works. That's not how the master operates at all. He pays everybody the same. And those early workers are living. Why are they angry? What's their complaint? Notice what they say. It's actually kind of interesting. Those people worked only one hour, verse 12, and yet you've made them equal to us. You've made them equal to us. Sometimes equality really stinks. Sometimes equality it's really, really going to fly up your nose. And this is one of those instances when equality didn't seem like a very good deal to the guys who've been working all day. The owner says, friend, what is your problem? A couple of lessons from the parables. Stay with me here, guys. Uh, let's start right here. It is probably a bad sign for you when you start thinking that God owes you something. Actually, no probably to it. it. It is a bad sign when you start thinking that God owes you. Now, it, it's a subtle sort of thing, and, and it's a trap that many of us fall into. It's sort of that Peter trap where Peter says to Jesus, listen, we left everything to follow you. There's going to be a, a big reward for us, right? I mean, we've left more. We've sacrificed a lot more than other people who call themselves your disciples. I mean, we're going to get paid back for that, right? I'm telling you, it's a bad sign when you start to think that God owes you. Romans says this, Romans chapter 11, verse 35 says, Who has given God so much that he needs to pay them back? Isn't that amazing verse? 
Who has given God so much that he needs to start paying them back? It's, it's a bad sign for you and for me when we begin to imagine that God owes us, that we're entitled to something. Again, I know that I'm talking to good church people for the most part, and I understand that. I understand what it means to sacrifice for the life of one church for your entire life. I really do know what that is, and I know what it means to sacrifice and serve and teach and work and preach and sing and tithe. I get all of that. The problem is we begin to think that somehow in the process of doing all of these things that we've earned something. We begin to sort of overestimate our own worth to God. We begin to think that somehow God owes us that we're entitled to something. But whenever you begin to think like that, you, you've, you've gone seriously off track spiritually. It is a bad sign when you begin to think that God owes you. So these guys who've worked all day long, they get to the end and they realize that, that the owner makes them equal. It's kind of the second principle. It's really, really difficult for some of us to recognize that we all just work here. You understand? We all just work here. It's not so much that the owner reverses the line. It's not so much that he makes the first last and the last first. That's really not the point of what Jesus is saying there. The point is that the owner erases the line. The complaint of the workers is not that you put them ahead of us. Their complaint is you've made them equal to us. And they don't see themselves as equal. There's this sort of illusion of superiority that a lot of us live with. We just absolutely can't imagine that we're equal to other people. We like to think of ourselves as better. We're very, very used to being first. We just like to be up front. And I've, I've been thinking about this sermon, which is usually bad for me, because if I have to think about it, that means I have to preach it to myself. And I was up there coming south on 31W. You know the place where all that, that, that new four-lane, six-lane highway goes back to two on your way back to Rich Pond? I have a really bad problem right there. I need to be in front of you. You know what I mean? We're all going to merge, and it's, it's not really that I'm in a bigger hurry than you, and it's not even that you're going slow. It's just something about me. When it's me and you side by side, and one of us is about to have to drop back, I volunteer you to drop back. That's just, that, that's just me. I volunteer you. Why don't you back off? Because I just, I just need to be in front of you. I, I, I don't, anybody else like that? Yeah, back off. Back off. Yeah. I don't know why I'm, I'm like that because here's the thing. You're going to get right behind me, and we're both going to sit at the very same light at Rich Pond. I mean, I'm still only going to be about 12 inches in front of you, but I'll take the 12 inches. I'll take the 12 inches. There's just something about me and something about a lot of you I just need to be in front. I just need to put myself ahead of others. The kingdom of heaven doesn't work that way. Do you understand me? The kingdom of heaven doesn't work that way. We all just work here. We are all the same. I like to think of myself as one of these early workers. I got there early and I stayed late and I worked in the heat of the day I sacrificed. That must make me worth more. 
No. That's not who I am in this story, and that's not even who I am in life. Are you with me? I'm not the first one here. There are others working before I ever started work. You understand? And I am not the cream of the crop, front of the line. I'm not that guy either. I'm, I'm bottom of the barrel. If, if you read Scripture closely, you find out that God has this certain preference for the bottom of the barrel people. He always, always heart goes out to the bottom of the barrel people, the broken people, the, the rejects, the, the, the outcasts. Why do you think that is? Why does God actually prefer the bottom of the barrel people? Why does he love the back of the line people so much? Because it's the only kind of people there are. It's the only kind of people that there are. We are all bottom of the barrel people. You understand? As I said at the very beginning of this parable, all of these workers are in the very same place, the very same situation. They have no job, they have no money, they have no hope. Until they meet the master, until they meet the employer, they have nothing. And these people at the end of the day who suddenly feel like they're worth so much, these people at the end of the day who suddenly overestimate their worth in comparison to other people, they have just simply forgotten where they were when he picked them up that morning. They've forgotten what he's done for them all day day long. They've begun to think that somehow he owes them and that he owes them more. That's just not how the kingdom of heaven works according to Jesus. If, if you're tempted to think that you're worth more than others, if you're tempted to think that you work harder, if you're tempted to think that your sacrifices are more significant, if you're tempted to think that you're superior to everybody else, in the words of Frozen, let it go. Understand? Let that go. That, that illusion of superiority that you and I live with, that's false. We're not better, we're not more important, and we are not more precious to God than everyone else. We all just work here. Which takes me back to the end of the line, guys, because I've told you that that's who you are, and you're probably not fully convinced yet because you've never thought of yourself that way. I mean, who's still standing around the corner not working at 5 o'clock in the afternoon? Who does that? I mean, stop and think about this story, really. Now, it's understandable that there will be people out there at the beginning of the day. These are the ones who want to work. These are the people who set their alarms, eat a good fiber-filled breakfast, and go to work every single day. We know those people. We're not surprised that they're there. It's not even a big surprise that people show up at 9. That's not a big surprise. We've all known people who were late. We've all known people who'd be late to work every single day, but they still go to work every day, and that's the 9 o'clock people. We understand that. I can understand people out there at 9. I can even understand people out there at 12. I have a college student. You understand? There are people who would show up at 12 because that's the beginning of their day. I mean, you, you got a teenager? I mean, there are people who would show up at 12. I get that. I'm starting to scratch my head at the possibility that anybody would be out there at 3 o'clock. I mean, if you're out there at 3, who are you? Still standing out there at 3 o'clock? Nobody's hired you yet? I mean, at 3 o'clock, we're talking about, you know, the one-legged people, the cross-eyed people. I mean, you're looking at the people that nobody would hire. At 3 o'clock, this is the bottom of the barrel people or the people who don't know how to tell time. 
These are the people that for whatever reason nobody wants to hire. At three o'clock, who else is out? I mean, everybody else is either at work or home watching Ellen. And she said, three o'clock? Okay, but, but five o'clock? Who is standing out there to be hired at five o'clock? It's quitting time. Wouldn't you just go home? Wouldn't you just pack it in? Wouldn't you just, I don't know, somehow go file for unemployment and just realize that you're not working? Who stands out there at five o'clock? Well, I guess we would say really desperate people, people who have nowhere else to go, people who really, really need the work and really, really need the help, desperate people. We are talking about the rejects, the ones nobody else would hire, but who wants them at five o'clock, who wants them? But I guess we'd say they're also really, really hopeful. I mean, just really, really hopeful people. I, I mean, honestly, the odds are so slim that at five o'clock anybody's gonna hire you. I mean, it's almost certain that nobody's gonna pick you up at five o'clock on the corner. But if you go home, it is certain that they won't, you understand? As long as you remain out there, there's a possibility. It's the last lesson I want you to see about this, this passage. You need to always position yourself for possibility. I like those P's, position yourself for possibility. Do you understand? This is what these guys do, and this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. They've been waiting all day long. Who does that? People who maybe know what they're waiting for, people who have nowhere else to go, no other source of help. Do you relate to that at all? The kingdom of heaven is like that. And, and, and that's who you are. That you're the desperate one. You're the one who has nowhere else to go. And if the master doesn't come and take you home with him, then you have no home. I mean, this is the point. This is what salvation is. And this is the beauty of the parable. Jesus is saying that this is what God is like. In other words, God wants everybody to receive the same reward, which is an amazing reward of eternal life and a home in heaven with him. I mean, what God gives us is so overwhelmingly generous. And God is giving that same thing to everyone, to whosoever believes. Has nothing to do with what you think you're worth. Has nothing to do with what you can earn, because that's not how it works. It's not that all those who work hard are sent to the end of the line. There is no line. There is no line whatsoever. Jesus just says that this is how God the Father gives. This is how he rewards. He is so infinitely good and infinitely generous, and you are so infinitely needy. But you should position yourself for possibility. If you need help from God, you just wait on him. You stand out there on that corner and you wait for God. You just continue to pray and you don't give up. You don't pack it in. You don't go home. You don't assume that it's over for you. You just don't give up. You just keep yourself out there positioned for possibility. You have no idea yet what God's going to do for you. You cannot give up. 
As a church, I would say the same thing. We need to be that church, that church that continues to stay out there for the Lord all day long. It doesn't matter how late it seems. It doesn't matter how much of the work seems not to get done. We just have to continue to stand out there and wait on the Lord. I'm telling you, if there's going to be a group out there still waiting at 5 p.m., let's let it be us. Because we don't have anywhere else to go. We don't have anyone else who can help us. We are all workers for God. If he's not going to pick us up and put us to work, then we have no purpose whatsoever. We have to continue to stay out there for him. Position yourself for possibility. Do you understand? You've got to be the woman who just knows how to wait on him. You've got to be the person who knows how to continue to stand and pray and hope and not give up. Because something wonderful is about to happen. I mean, understand, this is the kingdom of heaven we're talking about. And in the kingdom of heaven, for those who believe the ending is always glorious, it's always amazing, you'll always receive so much more than you deserve. So much more than you deserve. This is why Jesus is telling this parable so you sort of dismiss all of your ideas about what would be fair. You don't want fair. I promise you, you don't want fair. Do you really think that you want to receive what you deserve from God? If you think that you want to receive what you deserve, you've forgotten where you were when he found you. Understand? God's not fair because he's gracious. He does not deal with us according to our sins. He deals with us according to his grace. So at the end of the day, everybody lines up to be paid. Those early workers are standing in the back doing the math in their head. They've calculated 12 days wages. That's what I'm worth. That's what I'm getting, 12 days wages. The master lays in their hand exactly what was promised, a, a day's wage. It's exactly what they agreed to. It's ultimately fair. I love what, uh, the way Jesus tells the story. What the master literally says is, why are you giving me the stink eye just because I'm good? And that's what he says. It, it's really what he says. That's the Greek, stink eye. It is, people. It's, it's a stink eye. Why are you giving me the stink eye? Just because I'm good. It's this amazing collision between our idea of goodness, fairness, what we're worth, and God's incredible way of graciousness. So if this story puzzles you, if it makes you angry, it's because you're putting yourself in the wrong place in line. You, you're not the front of the line person, I'm not either. I'm, I'm the back of the line person. I'm the desperate one. I'm the one not worth much at all, but in the end, God gives me the kingdom. Not because I'm worth it, but because he is so good. At the end of the day, we will all thank God for his goodness. Pray with me. God, we love you. And God, we work for you. 
If you listen to the way we pray, if you pay attention to the way we complain, sometimes it would seem that we think you work for us, Lord. We get angry with you. We get impatient with you. We get dissatisfied with the way you treat us. Lord, we act as if we are the boss and you are the servant for us. Lord, we work for you, and we are all unworthy servants. Thank you, Lord, that you do not deal with us according to our worth, according to our sins. Thank you that you deal with us according to your grace. We thank you, Lord, that every single day of our lives we receive more blessings than we deserve. So, God, give us the good sense to be grateful and give us the good sense to recognize, Lord, where we were when you found us and where we would be without you. Teach us, Lord, simply to praise you And thank you that we live according to grace. Now, God, by your grace, forgive us of our sins. Give us work to do and allow us, Lord, to serve you joyfully. Lord, sometimes we're all tempted to think about the reward. We're tempted to ask what's in it for us. But, Lord Jesus, what's in it for us is eternal life, salvation, forgiveness of our sins, a home with you in heaven, Lord. So much more, so much more. So, Lord Jesus, let us serve you with gladness. Let us take our place at the back of the line, knowing, Lord, knowing that you are a good and gracious God who rewards all of us who believe with the whole kingdom. Thank you, God. We pray in Jesus' name.